Welcome to the Growth Cap Podcast, where we chat with CEOs, investors, and other key industry leaders to uncover insights and strategies for accelerating growth, succeeding in business. I'm your host, RJ Lumba, Managing Partner of Growth Cap. In this episode, we chat with Patrick Brensinger, President and Board Director of Associa, which is the global leader in association management for residential communities. For over 40 years, the company has serviced all types of residential communities, from single-family to master-plan communities to luxury high-rises. They have over 190 branch offices across North America, delivering services to 5 million residents worldwide. We hope you enjoy the show. So Patrick, thank you so much for taking the time for this conversation with us. And thanks to Peter for coordinating this call. We're really excited. You know, we've had the benefit of learning a bit more about your background as well as uh, Associa and, and how it came to be. But maybe for those in our audience who are you know not familiar with the company, maybe we could kick off with, with both kind of some background on, on the company and uh, as well as yourself, if, if that works. Sounds great, RJ. Appreciate your time. Well, Associate is a company that's been around since 1979. It focuses in the residential management space with a lot of integrated services around that. And uh, we've had 150 acquisitions over the last 20 years, managing around 12,000 communities currently, 4 million residents, and uh, have around 10,000 employees globally. So we're really excited about uh, the teams and the growth we've seen there. 190 branch offices here in the United States, Canada, and Mexico and uh, control about $5 billion in uh, purchasing for the communities that we serve. It's been fun to see the growth that we've had uh, in my story and how I got involved with Associa. Really, I'd worked with PwC for a number of years in different capacities and I had joined a company called Alvarez & Marsal a number of years ago. Really liked their operational heritage and their hands-on approach, exposed to a lot of different industries, and uh, came across Associa working there, got to know the Corona family, and began to understand the fragmentation of the industry and, frankly, the, the life point the company was at. Uh, it had been an amalgamation of acquisitions in many ways and really had the opportunity to step up and start putting in place some enterprise-wide concepts and controls and, and initiatives that would allow it to really operate where we were, where we were better together than we were apart and, uh, and just continued to see that there was a great opportunity uh, to do that. And uh, that was about a decade ago that I got involved with the company and roughly seven years ago, I actually joined the company and went client side, joining as a chief financial officer. Uh, did that for a little while, uh, a couple years, and about three years ago, uh, had the opportunity to take a broader view uh, with Associate and get involved as president and chief operating officer. And it's kind of interesting because I think if, if you ever geared your career toward being a CFO and having that background, it's a pretty big risk, a calculated risk, if you will to go ahead and say, I'm going to take a broader role and move over maybe in a different discipline in operations. But in all candor, I found that it actually ended up opening up a lot for me as far as learning with humility about the broader view of everything that had to happen upstream to get to the financial results we needed. I spent the last three years really working on a lot of those enterprise-wide initiatives to, to implement things, to take the company's performance next level as a service company and really work on the key elements of, of what we need to, to focus on. Uh, and then earlier this year, I had the opportunity to hire a fantastic chief operating officer from a, hosp a hospitality background uh, and really have him focus on our field operations from a, from a COO seat 
and allow me to focus as company president more on where we're going as we as we go forward. Great. And, you know, one of the really interesting things uh, about the companies is the actual area that you focus on in, in the, you know, when we think about uh, kind of these various types of communities, you know, across the U.S. and, and globally, there is a distinct need for, for what you do. I can only imagine there's very strong uh, tailwinds with kind of how kind of in general society and, and, and residential li- living is, is shifting. Maybe we could hone in a little bit on those, uh, on the, the exact kind of services, you know, obviously not, not too detailed, but, you know, the, more on, on the services that you provide to, you know, to the various communities and, and properties that you serve. Yeah, you know, if if you don't mind, I'll probably frame off of the market and then into how Associa fits into what that market needs. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the market the market is fairly large. We have a 350,000 associations out there. You know, it's it's interesting to us that on a broader sense, that's only 20% of the homes in the U.S. But uh, it is a significant portion. And, and to your point, we are seeing a significant amount of growth into uh, what we call deed restricted living communities where associations are a very present part of the experience of living in those communities. And that's growing at about a 50% of homes coming out of the ground are, are being in uh, being built in deed-restricted living. And the reason that is, uh, is because some of the trends we're seeing with folks and what they're looking for in a living experience, they really want to have a more amenitized experience. So we're seeing this with hospitality lines that are, that are adding residences. We're seeing this in mixed-use communities where we're seeing more retail and restaurants come in and alongside actual uh, communities themselves where people really want that closer to where they live. And we're also seeing trends where in the past, uh, individuals may have sought out some of these amenities via more of a private club experience. Uh, Now we're getting much larger communities that actually subsidize, you know, everything from workout facilities to we have some that have their own um, airports in them. Um, You know, uh, golf courses are very common. You see a lot of different amenities, especially a lot of playgrounds, things specific to different generations that they're targeting, the developers targeting, that really reflect things that someone would want in a community close to where they live. And deed restricted living works well for that because essentially you're you're able to help subsidize those assets, those those different pieces of the community um, by living um, in in one of these associations. Uh, we're also seeing lifestyle show up a lot in this in different generations where. Folks really want more of a sense of community and they want what we would call lifestyle directors or lifestyle divisions that are actually creating more of an experience of living in those communities. And so how Associate fits into that story is we provide what we call our core residential management service, which if you think about in the commercial side, you have Jones Lang LaSalle and and, uh, uh, Colliers and others who provide those services. We're largest in the world at what we do on the residential side where we provide core management services, including community manager support with the ability to help uh, run different meetings, whether it's the annual general mem- members meeting or the um, ongoing board meetings, board of directors meetings for these associations. We do the financials. As you can imagine, you don't want to be that board member, that volunteer board member, by the way, who has to go out and collect from their neighbors as far as assessments or, or cut the check for uh, you know the different vendors that serve that community. So we perform that function of both governance and financial control uh, working for them we also have different arms that help in everything from what we would consider more mundane or more regular proactive and reactive maintenance tasks all the way to more uh, emergency event-driven type work and restoration 
We have teams that provide brokerage of insurance, and that team specifically sits and works only with associations. So it's an expertise level they have just working on behalf of associations and their boards. And we also do other things, too, that that really help create community from everything from technology to websites to, to other forms of communication that help boards enhance living in those communities. Got it. That's helpful. And, and you know, the, the history of the company is, is also quite unique. Um, and I think the company was built, you know, over time, beginning in the, in the late 70s, from, from what I understand. And you just mentioned all the different kind of lines of businesses uh, you're in. So it w- would be interesting to hear, you know, a little bit about how kind of over time the business was, was built up and, and, and how, you know, maybe it's different you know, today than it was then, but how the company kind of pursues acquisitions. Does it start with identifying certain lines of business that you want to get in, or is it somewhat kind of organic, you know, the way you kind of c- come across opportunities and, and, and if it's, you know, related to the overall core business, then you, then you pursue it. So, you know, it would be great to get a, a little bit more on the timeline. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Associates was founded in 1979 by John Corona. John uh, had been someone that had always worked uh, throughout his life to support his family. He started at a very young age, early teens, actually mowing yards to be able to make enough to help support his family. And uh, upon graduating college, he actually got into, you know, working with uh, apartments and, and realized in multifamily that if you do a good enough job, you basically get fired because the investor in that property is going to sell it off while it's performing well. So you can very easily work yourself out of a job. Well, here in the Dallas-Fort Worth market, he ended up getting a call from a developer who said, hey, I'm going to be converting some of these multifamily apartments into condos. Do you know anything about managing those? And John would say his dad always told him, figure it out. So he said, well, sure, I'll learn. And he he got into it. He actually took out a loan against the Datsun and started Associa as a as a management company working in, in the residential space on converted apartments into, into condo units. And we see those cycle through sometimes between heavy builds of more of the multifamily and apartment buildings that then eventually sometimes will, will start to convert depending on the demands of the market. Uh, and that created that opportunity for John in late late 70s. Uh, I would offer that's actually what happened broader here in the U.S. And, and the U.S. is one of the more mature markets in residential management. But that actually was around the time that we saw that across the board start to really, really come up. And Associa focused mainly in this North Texas market uh, for a number of years, actually, in our 40-year history. Um, uh, but then came, it came to a point where John actually was involved with a, a group that uh, had about a dozen members, different management companies that were trying to best practice share. And then John came to a point with that group where he realized they weren't really going to openly share enough unless they had common ownership. And, and they just weren't going to do that unless unless someone took that step and, and he was willing to take that calculated risk and, and decided to put himself out there and, and start acquiring and, and acquired a majority of those initial dozen uh, management companies over time, and that became the basis for Associa. And John has continued to really been, be involved and enjoys a lot of the acquisition activity. In fact, there are meetings today about uh, some recent acquisitions that we're really excited about, but it's grown over the 20, last 20 years of, of really heavy acquisition in the company's history with over 150 completed. And to your question on what do we look for, um, it, it is a great question. We have high concentrations in the markets that have the highest uh, you know, uh, concentration of suburban areas. Uh, we find those in areas like uh, Virginia and Florida, Texas, California, Hawaii have very heavy concentrations. 
But we've also found uh, real great, really great opportunities uh, in markets like Oklahoma and in other places that don't have the higher concentrations, but they certainly offer opportunities because we can bring value to those markets and the broader services we provide. And, and that's been a really good experience for us. So as we look forward, you know, we do have a very strong focus on growing our core, what we call our core business, which is our organic business on, on the current platform of associations we've acquired over time. And also the integrated services, which reflect all the different offerings that I referred to earlier, uh, you know, everything from restoration, maintenance, insurance, and other offerings. But I would offer the inorganic growth is, is certainly a big part of our story and will continue to be a big part of our story. And the way that we handle those has matured over time. And so several years ago, we began to look at it. And as we began to, um, you know, really invest in our capital structure and bring on some new partners, we also wanted to elevate our ability to effectively execute acquisitions. And so we started to go in and, and look at everything from we call soup to nuts. So everything from the very beginning process of how we um, look for and source, um, you know, opportunities. We have a lot of the most senior and uh, I would say tenured industry veterans that actually are very well connected in the industry and do connect us with a lot of opportunities. And quite candidly, one of the benefits Associa has is having been in the industry for 40 years, we have a long-standing record uh, within the industry of um, paying a fair price to the seller uh, and always standing behind our, our notes related to the way we do our deals. And so that really helps us in the marketplace as we go out and approach people to say, hey, we're very interested in, in having your, your company join our family. And, and I say that very intentionally because we realize for a lot of these sellers that are first generation owners of their business, it is really important to them that not only do they feel like they were able to fairly get a purchase price that reflects the value that they have created over a number of years, that's how they can create generational or fam- familial wealth. But they also care about their legacy and they want to make sure that all their second family, if you will, the folks that have been with them for all these years building their business are in a good place and are with a company that their culture matches. And because we have a very strong sense of purpose here and a very strong sense of family, for many of these first-generation sellers, this is the place they want to leave their legacy to continue the next chapter. So we do have a, a really good uh, lead-in or a pipeline, if you will. We're not, we're not a traditional firm that uses brokers. It's our deep relationships and 40-year history that allow us in a very fragmented market to identify opportunities to, to partner with, uh, with, with new acquisitions. And uh, that has worked very, very well for us. We have a very healthy pipeline of associations throughout the U.S., Canada, and Mexico that we're very interested in. And uh, we go through a due diligence process that is, is very well structured to allow us to identify on the very front end um, some key criteria. We basically have a form, if you will, that we, we go through to, to better understand key attributes of the opportunity to, to, to acquire. And um, once we get through a certain level of due diligence, um, our CFO and, and several of our finance and accounting team that are dedicated to this part of our growth model will actually engage on, on a further, more a deeper view into the business, having additional conversations. We do keep a level of discretion for purposes of not disrupting their business while we're conducting our due diligence. Depending on the size of the deal, many of our larger deals actually through our credit agreement, rightfully require that we have a third-party financial due diligence firm come out and do an amount of review, which we'll, we'll engage with if we uh, get to a level of um, a letter of intent that we're all comfortable with the basic terms we would want to pursue going forward. So we have a, a basic understanding of framing, if you will, of what that would look like. And then we go through the process of, of acquisition. Um, our big objective is our, our industry is a service industry. We're not heavy assets. So we, we value off of a multiple of, of EBITDA. And, and based on that, we're always looking for um, how would this fit into our, our national network, our platform, 
And what other things can we bring to the table that they're currently not doing? And our scale does allow us to bring certain integrated services that an independent provider of the service who may be doing a good job in the core offering would not have the uh, resources to offer. Uh, and that allows us to get a couple of turns off the acquisition multiple down to what we're realizing. And then certainly, I think you all understand the ability to value at, at a much more enterprise level for the overall organization with them in. So we, we look at that and make sure all that makes sense. We've actually also, the last several years, hired a, a PMO or project management office into our company. And one of the key areas of focus they have is to run our playbook on integrations. So having done 150 of these, we have a pretty good idea of, of coming in to assess baseline on where you know an acquisition may be and everything from technology to leadership and succession planning all the way through um, you know what integrated services they have where they're going to need to offer. Uh, and then depending on where they baseline compared to where we want them to be, we develop out a uh, you know an integration plan that allows us to uh, bring them along over a period of time and help us realize additional value from bringing them into our family. And that's been very important. The other thing I would I would call out, we have seen a lot of different models where different uh, companies that are heavily acquisitive look at their core field operations regions, and they also look at, well, what do you do with an acquisition once you acquire it? You can have your project management team do the blocking and tackling of executing the, the project plan, but how does it fit within your, your operations team? And both our COO and I both believe that we're better served to have dedicated field operators who essentially work with that new acquisition in that team who may not have gone through some of the planning steps we go through here at our scale, but we also go through and make sure they learn the secret decoder ring because, you know, like any good company, we have our fair share of three-letter acronyms for everything, and they've got to kind of learn how to interact and engage with our teams, the rhythms that we expect, the operating model that we we really want to make sure that they're, they're successful in. And that could be a, a year to 18 months to 24 months of, of really helping have uh, dedicated field operators work with them to make sure they're learning how to, how to be successful here at Associa before they would what we would call graduate into their geographic region, uh, which is a much larger region. And, and we just understand that the amount of effort a new acquisition takes, it bell curves on the front end of an acquisition. And so we make sure we spend the additional time and focus with them through dedicated resources. Because I know a lot of companies struggle with well, do I just let it fall into a larger region once I acquire and will I receive the value that I anticipated to get by doing that? Or do I have dedicated resources? We truly believe it's better to have dedicated folks helping them come along on that first part of their journey with us. Well, it, it certainly seems like the company is moving at a fast pace in terms of kind of the growth it's pursuing. And evidently, there's you know a lot of moving pieces given kind of the number of you know, kind of lines of, of, of businesses that you're in and, and likely the, the number of acquisitions that you're folding into the organization. And your background is in PwC, then Alvarez and Marcel, uh, which is a you know, fantastic background. How has, and there's, I presume there's a bit of a transition moving into this kind of you know, operator uh, executive role, but we would, would love to hear a little bit more of how you've been able to be successful in this role because I you know from at least from a, an outsider's perspective it does seem like you know a lot to manage um, you know a lot to to take on you know again you know because of the the pace you're moving at and, and, and the number of moving pieces but uh, would love to hear kind of your take on on what it you know what it takes to be successful in in the role you're in yeah no great question and and the pace is material uh, I will confirm I will confirm that, but I would say this, as far as background um, and how that parlays into 
current scope of responsibility. PwC, every, everything I think in, in a life, I'm a big believer in connectedness. I'm a big believer that things happen for a reason. And even back to college, I had the opportunity. I attended Texas A&M University. I founded a men's organization. Over the weekend, we got to celebrate 20 years of impacting over 600 lives. But while I was there at the university, some things happened that have interplayed even what we're doing here at Associate. And what those things were, I was, I was in college around the time that uh, at Texas A&M, uh, a large tradition was a bonfire that was built every year. And that actually fell while I was in school in 99 and, and unfortunately uh, killed 12 students, injured a number more. But the importance of it was it began to um, form for me an understanding of A, being a far, part of something bigger than yourself, but also B, the importance of connecting with people, especially during very stressful times. And when 9-11 happened, it actually opened the door for me and other student leaders at the time to do some things to raise over a quarter million dollars for the families of firefighters and policemen from 9-11. We actually went back to uh, New York City about a month after 9-11 and were able to help give those funds and spend time with those folks. That led into PwC where um, I got involved with the fraud and forensic practice because I thought, well, hell, if you get involved where the fire is, you're going to learn a, a heck of a lot and certainly did in that role. But in that was able to join the 9-11 Victim Compensation Fund. So I spent an early part of my career actually working with firefighter families from 9-11, over 90 of them. And I really respected what those, what those folks did because they ran in when the world ran out. And it became very clear to me that if you're going to leave a legacy, let it be one where you go to where things are difficult and you make a difference in the lives of others through the things that you can do to, to, to help them. And, and at A&M, that was even further refined by being a part of a very operational, roll up your sleeves, get involved uh, type mentality. And that has stayed with me, the core uh, values and the, and the things that it shaped, shaped me, but then also the ability to come in and take a very, almost an engineering approach to just breaking down big issues in the smaller pieces and being able to solve them. And so how that all, you know, rounds out into Associa is that I was able to make some level of impact in the CFO suite, but, you know, I'll just use the analogy of our pillars here at Associa. We have four of them. They start with employee engagement and the client retention, clients that are retained, they promote. When they promote, you grow. When you grow, you make your financial numbers, your profitability. Well, my area of responsibility and scope for the first couple of years here really was around the caboose of the train. It was the back end of this, which if everything upstream of it happened well, then you got your financial results. Well, we went through a period where we were having our own little bit of, of softness, maybe reflection in the early years where I began to see that there were some things upstream that if we were able to impact and influence, there was significant upside to the model that just had to be unlocked. And a lot of the things that we applied really aren't things that are just germane to this environment. They're really larger concepts that we brought from different backgrounds in and tried to apply in new ways here. And, and big believers in things like uh, good to great and the idea of building up flywheel mom momentum that leads you to point a buildup to breakthrough. And we've just really started to see that over the last probably year and a half, that breakthrough moment and what that's done to elevate the company's performance across the pillars. But we began to come in and say, look, there are things that we can do different to unlock the potential in the organization and really become better than an amalgamation of acquisitions, truly become where we can operate at an enterprise level and, and be uh, very effective. And so we started down this path, and, and I would offer to you, it, it really consists of a very clear formula in our minds. Um, the thing we always asked first was first who, then what? It was very clear early on that if we didn't clearly get leaders in that believed in our core values of servant leadership, the way in which we wanted to lead forward and to serve our clients and employees well, 
this wasn't going to go anywhere far. You really need to have the right people on the bus in the right spots. And so we spent a significant amount of time uh, early three years ago in really refining uh, not only the regions we had operationally, but we began to unpack who's in those seats and where do we want to go. And we actually pulled uh, a number of very talented leaders in the organization. And, and, and quite frankly, you look at the bigger macroeconomics, and we understood that retail was under significant attack from and pressure from uh, organizations and disruptive moments from organizations like Amazon. And we felt like there was an opportunity to pull some really talented people from uh, major organizations in the retail space like Staples and other, other companies. And we actually began to bring some of those folks in. They had the right core. They didn't know our industry, but certainly they led with a financial business acumen that we really wanted to elevate in our organization. At the same time, we began to invest very heavily in um, leadership development. So we, we created what we call our UP Leadership Program. We're in our third year of that now, but we began to look for high potentials in the organization and really start to invest in them across the 10 wheel of, of, of competencies that we look for to make sure that we had a bench strength growing of leaders that could operate with the rhythm that we expected. So once we began to really understand and build out that, that, that uh, leadership level, we came in and began to have the discussion on, well, what do we focus on when we have the right leaders on the bus in the right spots? And that, that came down to what we, call the, what we call our operating rhythm. And we focused a lot on the idea that our pillars matter. matter. There's a great HBR article out there on the service profit chain that's been written several years back, but it's a reaffirmation of our pillars for a service company around employee engagement. We truly believe that employees that are engaged are 87% more likely to stay and they're 30% more productive. Uh, and when they're, when they're engaged, they actually create 70% of the client's experience, 70%. So if I've got the right leader above them who are helping engage them, they're engaging the client ways that are meaningful and are creating a better service experience for that customer. We saw significant uh, improvements with an engaged employee population that then led to better uh, service to our current clients. And our current clients have begun to refer us, right, promote us. And as that has happened, it's created tailwinds in the area of client growth. And that client growth has helped us reach new levels of, of financial performance. And we've always built this rhythm of this idea of what we call plan, execute, measure, and reward. It's really, you know, I see a lot of organizations where, you know, they have the best of intent and there's, you know, probably a million things we could all focus on. But once you understand the vital few, having that rhythm focus on the right things is absolutely critical to the organization. So you've got to plan well, both multi-year and end of the year. And we began three years ago to create what we call SOAP not what you take a shower with. We're actually talking about strategy on a page. And what we do with that is we define the three to five things that matter to our organization in the year. So that there's commonality among the organization alignment around what matters this year that advances us to our multi-year goals. And then every one of our branches use management plan. Uh, we use the OKR method, which is objectives and key results, which is a very results-driven approach to really being thoughtful about, well, what do I need to do at the branch level that will help us advance toward our goals for the year, that will help us advance toward our multi-year goals, and trying to keep that as simple and clear as we can so that we're all lined up. Because we truly believe that when we have our employees focused on the same thing, what we can accomplish together is significant. But we've got to make sure we're on the same page about what matters. And you get an execution and you measure it. We use a number of different dashboarding tools to take a lot of data information. I worry a lot about data blindness or the idea that you can overwhelm with data. So we try to keep it very simple. And we measure those things around our pillars to show us that we're improving. And then we create STI programs and LTI programs that incent performance in those pillars. And so the organization sees the alignment around our pillars through the operating rhythm. We create feedback loops with our employees and clients. We have employee advisory boards and client advisory boards. 
I'm a very hands-on uh, executive. I like to get out in the field and actually go to board meetings. I do ride-alongs with our maintenance techs. I spend time in, I, I spend time in skip levels with our employees and with our clients because I really feel like we need to serve them well. And when we serve them well, a lot of good things happen for the organization. And I look at the results we've, we've achieved over the last couple of years, and I think that's been the biggest validation of this approach. We have seen our employee turnover drop by 25% since 2015. Uh, the last two years, we've earned a great place to work from our employees. And I'm most proud of the second one uh, because they doubled the number of employees that they went out to visit with from 2,000 to 4,000. And in one year, our uh, score from our employees went up 10%, which is significant. In our second pillar, we dropped our, uh, our client losses by 33% over that same period. And in our, our third pillar around uh, client growth, we've sold over a thousand accounts in the prior year, which is a 43% increase from, uh, from 2015. And all that's led to profitability where we've doubled our EBITDA uh, in the last several years. And so that's been significant um, reaffirmation to us that uh, these key things, first who, then what, and the then one being around the pillars of the organization and, and being really, really, uh, focused on on executing well on those things it's it's been it's been a really good journey to see those things uh, come together well these are all you know fantastic insights the, the command of of kind of the operating principles you have is is uh, is tremendous well patrick you know i you've been generous with your time we very much appreciate you speaking with us we know how busy you are so thank you again and and this was fantastic and congrats on all the success to date Thank you. I appreciate your time.